Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. Hmm. Ah, uh, waking up. It's running on a lack of sleep. And the funny thing is, you and I both, I, I don't know what's keeping me upright, just force of habit, maybe panic. Because it's time in the morning, I need to get to get going, but I'm running on like one night's sleep for over the last two days. So I'm on a very lean mixture today. What's keeping you upright is doing this for the listeners, Dave. Doing it for the listeners. Yeah, that that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I'm glad they're all I, enjoying it, but Let's no. just say I was trying to be really idealistic there. <laughs> this podcast would be worth a slap of the snooze button a few extra times. Fine, okay. <laughs> for the passion of what we are making here, for the passion of our creativity with doing this, something like that. Yeah, no, that's not it either. It's just this. This is what you do as a grown adult. It's time to go to work. Time to do your thing. That's right. And I, I love, and this is making it easier to come out of bed, you know. But I tell, and you and I both are in the same situation. You're running on a lack of sleep, so this is one of those where a lot more run-on sentences. A lot of is he slivering his words? He might be. It's <laughs> I'm drinking milk and having some donuts this morning, but it's just trying to kick me in the butt and move me in a forward momentum to some degree. I don't know. Let's see what happens here over the course of the next close to hour. Could you know, make it fun. Maybe it will be coherent. <laughs> you never know. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. Oh, I missed my cue. I'm Dave Brooks. Yeah, exactly. See, see just the, the a, reflex is not there. Not we're there. off to a really great yeah. start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. It is located on Highway 2, just down from the airport. They are open. They are open, especially on the back end of the week and then the weekends. Uh, that's where they are open and doing business in terms of having movies showing. So check out their website for uh, for what's playing and what's going at a given time. If you are not as comfortable with going to the movies these days, uh, make sure that you stop by and give them some support at the concession stand. That's where the revenue is for the movie theater, and that that's very, very helpful for them. Um, so make sure you stop by, uh, get your popcorn, uh, get your get your food. If you want to get an icy, icy that's right, get your soda. Um, you can do all of that at, at the concession stand. You can bring that on home for your own personal uh, movie theater viewing, but Support the Bemidji Theater. Uh, keep on supporting them here during this time. If you are comfortable going to the movies, check out what they've got showing and stop on by. And on top of that, we just had the Golden Globes, which means we're about ready to get the Oscar nominations, which also means generally a lot of those movies, what movie is nominated for what? I don't think I've heard about it. They tend to kind of get a re-release and come out so people can see what's up for or yeah. what has just won. So you're probably going to get an influx like No Man Land, you know, just won the best drama, a Golden Globe, and it's probably a forerunner for a Best Picture nomination when the Oscars uh, nominations come out. So there's another opportunity if you're feeling like going to see a show. A lot of things came out maybe to a streamer that you didn't see because maybe you don't have Hulu, but you've got Netflix or something and it didn't come to Netflix. Well, now a lot of those are going to come to the big screen because they're going to be up for the awards. I did that a couple of years ago when La La Land came out. Yeah. That was a little bit more of a limited release, but then when it did so well, 
in terms of Oscar nominations, I got a chance to go and watch it before the Oscars and got to go see it and really enjoyed it a lot. So a, a prime example right there when you've got those those nominations that come out, you start to see some of the ones that are doing really well. They often have them on a re-release at the theater, so it's really great. Good opportunity to go see them. Uh, and this kind of leads also just a tiny little bit since the Golden Globes have happened now. Uh, we did a lot of spiel on our last podcast talking about limited amount of movies that are going to be eligible for these awards because and a limited amount of knowledge. Well, on yeah, those because there's so many, so many few of those movies. They're not coming out with this weekend opening on the big screen. They don't do that for just Hulu necessarily. You know, Wonder Woman 1984 with the launch of HBO Max. Yeah, that was everywhere. And beyond that, what? No, I remember seeing a couple of James Bond movie promos until they pushed the movie again and again and again. So Nomadland, I only know about it from what I've just happened to stumble across myself. It's not being laid out in front of me like any other general movie would be. Um, But from what you hear, it's doing really, really well for what it is. It just won Best Drama, Golden Globe. Francis McDormand was almost a shoe in for the performance but didn't win it. So we'll see how things line up with the Oscars. But, you know, I still think before... I, I'm exaggerating the point, but when you only have seven movies anywhere released in a given year, odds are pretty good you had a one in seven chance to win Best Picture. You know, would that would you be as eligible to win that if it was a given year and there's 400 movies you're going against? The cream rises to the crop, and I'm not saying that these movies are not as good, but it's also lack of options. You got to nominate X number of movies. Well, there was only 12 this year, so well, we got to get five of those, and the other six, eh. But would those movies be nominated on any other year? I'm not trying to knock them. I'm really not. I'm just saying it's it's a lack of options. I, I almost feel better if whatever awards, Oscars, Golden Globes, just kind of push everything into next year. Where it sounds like 2021, maybe not immediately, but going to get to the point where we're going to get back to something resembling a normal release schedule. So why not just make 2022's award season doubled up? You know, I'm maybe two best pictures to kind of cover the glut of what didn't come out, and then the, the the you have to run extra fast to catch up. You know, so all these movies come out, and when they really start coming out, it's going to be gluttony. So why don't you have two best pictures, two best actors? I'm, just, I'm not saying that's the solution. I'm just saying it's an idea. So you have a whole bunch to choose from. Well, then you got so much competition. Maybe really worthy movies aren't going to get a chance to even win. Because they're up against every movie. So maybe you, you open it up for one year and you get so many nominees, same amount, but now you get two winners or something like that. I don't know. The Oscars also has some time to learn how to best present as well because I think the Golden Globes showed things to do and not to do in that regard as well because I heard it wasn't wasn't the greatest uh, performance-type show as far as how to go through doing this on a, in a virtual sense. You know, even when they tried to have people in to accept awards and such, they ran into some, in some ways, understandable technical glitches, but they, it was also a little bit clunky from, from things I was reading regarding just the presentation of the awards and everything. So maybe there will be a little bit to learn in that regard as well before they have their show uh, next month. So, still some time yeah, as well. They're very hamstrung, but uh, hopefully they do their best. Yeah. So, that's that's another uh another consideration, but um it's especially a big year for the streaming platforms because they're the ones who are still being able to churn out releases right now because people can 
can get a chance to watch things on demand, you know, and as, as it's being released right to their home. Um, that So it's a big opportunity for the streaming platforms, like you said. The pool of movies just not is not as deep um, as it would have been with the the usual options that have been pushed back. Um, it's it's a lot more independent. It's a lot more under the radar stuff. There is no doubt very good stuff that is in there, but at the same time, you just wonder what would have been, and the, it lacks it lacks a real punch of. notoriety and and movies that have notoriety so I think that that's going to be pretty impactful I think for um, viewership but also for consideration of just how much clout this year's Oscar awards will have for better or for worse and that's that's no knock on these movies that that have been released in in this time but um, there is also going to be that attached to it of you know this is a different kind of year as far as the cloud of you winning the award this year because there's just not the same number of movies, just like you were talking about, Dave. You know, one of the th- and, and like you said, this is not a knock on the current crop. That's not to say that on any given year with the normal amount of releases, Nomadland or The Father wouldn't be good enough to be nominated for Best Picture. You know, there's some very, very interesting things. Like Take The Father, for example. This is uh, Anthony Hopkins. And essentially, it's a story about a man, a father, who's growing older and he's starting to lose his mental faculties. And so the movie is presented in such a way so that kind of like Memento, the movie was shown backwards because it's it lacked kind of more or less about memory loss. So you have no memory of what av- event just happened before the scene because the scenes are shown in reverse order. So you're kind of forced into the perspective of the guy with the father there's he's having relationship issues with his daughter. There's actually two actresses that play the same daughter because it's to give you the perspective from the guy. Well, who are you? I'm your daughter. Well, the scene just before this, it was a different actress, you know, but so it's to kind of give you that presentation. Wow. Even some things in the setting. Wasn't there a chair there before? It must be fun to try to rewatch this movie and point out all the bloopers and continuity issues. Wasn't this light on before and now it's off? Well, it's to, it's done intentionally. The lighting scheme yeah. to try to give you the perspective of somebody who's starting to slide mentally. You know, very, very interesting. And from what I hear, it's a, it's a good movie and great performance by Anthony Hopkins. Like you said, he was nominated and uh, Oscars are coming. And some people say it may be his best role since Hannibal Lecter. So we'll- Wow. That's that's not empty words. So there's not to say that we're knocking anything that's going on in the award season, but you're bound to get movies that are would that be would that be anywhere near as well regarded any other year or would it be lost in the tidal wave and maybe that's a positive thing? Would it be as recognized if there were more things worthy to be recognized? It's a it's an up and a down. It is. Anyway, but you know, one thing that you did touch on, it's great that you have an opportunity to see movies that you wouldn't otherwise. How about dipping into the Wayback Machine and movies that we've loved growing up that, you know, if you're, say, a millennial, maybe you didn't see these movies. That Me as a Gen Xer, this was a big mainstream movie when it came out in 19-whatever, and people that are just coming up, you can't see everything, you know. There's a lot of people that haven't seen a lot of those black and white movies that you would recommend strongly. I like watching some of those YouTube videos where a movie that, to me, is very well known. Here's these guys. I've never seen this movie. I've heard of this movie, but I don't know what it's about. So they're watching it, you're seeing the movie, and you're watching their reactions. 
you know, wow, I, I don't like anything that's not new and current. But then they see these great gems from the past, and they're wonderful. But sometimes your perspective on these great gems will alter over the years, and that brings us to our topic. And but I do want to remind you, since we're going to talk about some good movies, there be spoilers ahead, matey. Arr. Always. Yeah. Keep that in mind today. There will be spoilers ahead, especially since we're discussing some probably key moments within these movies that kind of help with our view on them in total. But yeah, the topic today is is one that I think every moviegoer encounters in some way, shape, or form, and that is a change of perception on movies. Either a movie that when you first initially watched it, you absolutely loved, and over time, well, you, you maybe start luster. to get... A little bit stale on it. Yeah, it loses its luster for for various reasons. Or you just realize I had a prisoner of the moment kind of moment when you thought that it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But also, on the flip side, you have those movies that maybe you watched them the first time. Maybe when you were younger or maybe just weren't really in the same frame of mind then as you are now. And you didn't like it as much, but then you give it some time, you watch it again later by one circumstance or another, and suddenly you find that there's a lot more to appreciate about it than perhaps you gave it credit for initially. So I think this will be a pretty fun one today. It's another very list-based one, and it's, it's all very subjective, but it does fascinate me, Dave, the way that opinions can change like that. For instance, going from the positive to... Maybe not quite as positive, where you do sometimes have prisoner-of-the-moment kind of feelings when you're watching a movie when it gets first released. Or, on the flip side, those are some of the most pleasantly enjoyable experiences when you go back and, maybe one way or another, you happen to watch a movie again that you just were lukewarm about or maybe flat-out didn't like. But then, all of a sudden, something has changed and you start to see that movie in a different way or maybe something becomes a little bit more apparent and all of a sudden it becomes a movie that you really appreciate a lot. You know, I was talking this morning and uh, the the character of Superman came up and this will be our first foray here into what we're talking about. The first Superman movie, uh, Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Marlon Brando, 1978. Great movie. It was nominated for Best Picture. I mean, that's how good it was. And it set the staple for how a superhero movie should generally be presented. Not take it too campy, but have reverence for the source material. And uh, But Superman doesn't show up until almost halfway through the movie. I mean, you have Clark Kent, yes, but it's him coming from Krypton as a baby and growing up and discovering skills. But he doesn't put on the red, white, and blue until, or you know, blue and red and yellow, until he is almost halfway through the movie. As a kid, I remember being kind of bored by that movie. If I missed the beginning, it wasn't the worst thing because there's no one getting punched. There's no, there's no boulders being exploded or heat ray vision melting or anything. There's nothing exciting to see. You know, when you're a kid, you're not interested in the steak and potatoes. You want the cake. Well, as I've gotten older, you know, the beginning stuff that's going on, that's important stuff. It's weighty stuff. It speaks to any man who's trying to discover his identity in the world, no different than Clark Kent, to discover, hey, I'm Superman. Hey, I'm actually, we know something is different about me, but we just don't really know exactly what. Well, we found you in this, son. We, you know, you're, you're the answer to whether, I'm probably blending a couple of different Superman movies together, but 
Um, any, it speaks to anybody. The, yeah, you, you know, did Batman, start to sound like Kevin Costner there for a yeah, second. Yeah, I think I was starting to bleed in. Batman Begins, you don't see Batman until almost you know 40 minutes into the movie, but everything that's happening before that, truly fascinating and a great story, and it's setting up for what's going to come later. But you take a different perspective on it because as a kid, I want the razzmatazzle and as a person, as an adult who understands bigger, weightier concepts, that stuff's landing on me. I'm getting it. You know, it's sad when you see him interacting with his dad and his dad just keels over dead all of a sudden and that, oh no, that didn't mean that much to me when I was a kid for whatever reason. I was shallow, I guess. But uh, now it's got some weight to it. You were young. That was young. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it is interesting how you can attach new levels of significance with age and maturity. That's that's actually a pretty um, a, a little bit more along the serious side with treating this topic. But that's sometimes what feeds into a different kind of approach to a movie. I'm sure for some people who watched, you know, for instance, a movie that's come up in recent episodes, Field of Dreams, if they would watch that when they're younger. That might not resonate in that way, but maybe the older you get, as time progresses with your father and experiences progress in that way, maybe it does start to resonate a little bit differently. You know, there's there's just one example. You know, you hear now, you want to have a catch? Little kids watching, yay! People like me watching, want to have a catch? <laughs> oh, God, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yep. So is that your first? Is is that the first example that you've got? Is Superman? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, there's there's things where things get better. There's things where things get worse. Then there's things where it sometimes it's circumstantial. I, we're, you're talking about Oscars, and every so often there's going to be the retrospective, the best best picture Oscar winners of all time. Well, one of them that was I I don't think it was captured the moment, but I think there's other people that do. Was American Beauty came out in '99 at one best picture in the 2000 Oscars. Um, and a lot of people like, well, kind of like Shakespeare in love. It should have probably gone to saving private Ryan. I I think gladiator came out the same year. I might be mistaken about that, but you know, maybe the Oscar best picture shouldn't have gone to, you know, American beauty. Maybe it should have gone to, Shakespeare in love. I I still, yeah, for me, my head at that American beauty wasn't so much that I think it captured something of the moment, but it captured something for me. At that point in my life, I wasn't thrilled with the way things were in my life, as is the character of Lester Burnham. Uh, you know, but the whole the what I really got from the movie is it's never too late to become your best version of yourself and to find whatever it is inside of you that has become dormant to wake up and to get back and get back that verve and that zest and you know to get that back. But then there's the other incidental that came up with that movie, and that is the whole Kevin Spacey issue. He won Best Actor for that role, and much like The Usual Suspects, does it make it easier to see that? Is it easier to see The Naked Gun when you have O.J. Simpson in it? Granted, he's getting his butt kicked throughout the whole movie, so maybe that makes it easier. But does that take away from the movie that is in no way guilty of somebody that's involved in it, actor, director, producer, whatever, that something happens later in life. Can you enjoy a Woody Allen movie anymore? Is that an incidental? It's not to say that Annie Hall, which won Best Picture in 75, whatever it was, it's a great movie, but it's a Woody Allen movie, and things are happening these days, and there's cancel culture, and there's, you know, is it being canceled because it's a punishment, or do people just, I don't feel comfortable watching O.J. Simpson, you know, yuck it up on screen, does that mean that the naked gun gets an unfair shake? So sometimes it's incidental, and it's a great movie, 
but eh, cringy, maybe because of the subject matter. You know, watching James Bond deal with women in the way that he does in the hashtag Me Too movement era. Is it easier to watch a Sean Connery Bond movie under circumstances like that? So you can look at the exact same thing. Nothing about the movie has changed at all except our perceptions as the tidal wave of time moves forward and we ride the crest of that wave and whatever was acceptable back then that isn't now, can you look back and just, well, it was what it was. You know, if it would have known then, I'm sure it would have been better. Does that mean you can't enjoy it? Does that mean you can't watch it? Does that mean that you shouldn't watch it? Or does it mean you just look at it from a different perspective? Yeah, this topic today is closely aligned with our discussion that we had a few episodes ago regarding movies that age gracefully or movies that don't age quite as well. This this can be very easily attached into that for the very reasons sure. that you just gave. Um, you can you can tie those things in um, very closely. I, I think it it lends itself to a healthy amount of discussion to where you you have to consider the time in which it was made in some cases, but you also have to consider, you know, for instance, with, with Kevin Spacey, when it comes to him appearing in that, in these movies in some of these past movies, you know, like, like the usual suspects, or even like, I think a little bit more recently, one of his last movies that he did before all of these allegations that came out was baby driver, which I really enjoyed a lot. You, you have to take, the performance that you see on screen with a massive grain of salt, it almost seems, where you appreciate what you are watching while also still giving while also still giving full measure to to that which you are considering with the person involved. And that's it's a very hard thing to answer, but and in some cases, more than others, sometimes people are impacted by it in a way of, you know, I, I just, I can't deal with this, with this person. I just can't watch it with this person involved or with this topic involved or something like that. And that, but, but there are other times where it's like, you know, we, we have the benefit of hindsight and we have the benefit of looking back, you know, with Woody Allen, that's an interesting one because so much of what has been talked about with Woody Allen are things that apparently took place while he was making some of these movies that we look back on. With Kevin Spacey, it's a you know there's a question of time that comes with that as well. You know when was this taking place? Sometimes people will attach the timetable to it. Of you know I I can look at something like the Usual Suspects that's a little bit further back, a little bit differently than something that's a little bit more recent. For some people, it's I just can't deal with any of it. For other people, it's... I don't think you should completely turn a blind eye to to these things. You know, some people want to say, you know, let's just sweep it all under the rug. I don't think you should do that at all. You need to cons- you need to have full consideration of this, but, I, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you completely shudder away that movie for good and never watch it again. If you choose to do that, you know, maybe that is what you need to do. But if you don't, decide to do that and you try to take the movie on the whole you know especially if it involves a controversial figure like that or like oj simpson maybe it doesn't necessarily mean that you completely shudder it away but ultimately that in and of itself is subjective too and people have different reasons for why they do that or don't sure you know i i think whatever is easier for you as an individual if if 
let's let's say you've got Jewish ancestry and any movie that involves a swastika is not going to be shown in this house ever for any reason. Well, that means Indiana Jones, you know, or at least the fir- the first and third one, he's fighting the Nazis. Clearly, the Nazis are not being shown sympathetically. How about Valkyrie? You know, great story about how several you know more conscientious members of the Nazis tried to kill Adolf Hitler. Well, we're just not going to have that in this house. All right, that's that's your prerogative and a completely understandable one at that. I can there's no there's no debate, but that also means Schindler's List. You're not going to watch that movie because there are Nazis in Schindler's List. So, what are you going to cut yourself off from? Now, if you want to, that's your business. But part of the whole idea about going to see a movie is to see a story that immerses you. I'm not aware, hey, that's Harrison Ford's stunt double running across the big rope bridge. You know, it's probably Harrison Ford, you know, but I'm not trying to watch Harrison Ford. I'm trying to watch Indiana Jones and get sucked into the role. I just watched The Usual Suspects uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, first time in a little while. I'm not trying to think about, well, boy, this movie used to be so good, but now I'm watching Kevin Spacey. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking what a great movie it is. I'm thinking about what yeah. cinematography it is, what great direction it was, the way that the shots are framed, the way that his character of Verbal Kid is presented. You don't, you're not aware of the twist coming at the end of the movie, but I've seen the movie so many times, there are little breadcrumbs throughout the movie to indicate what's coming, and I'm aware of those breadcrumbs. And out of the 2,500 things I'm aware of of the movie, one of them is, well, it's really unfortunate about the whole Kevin Spacey thing. You know, it's it doesn't ruin the movie for me, you know, and I try to keep it as minimally conscious as I can because it is a great movie. And, you know, somebody that did something bad, that's really unfortunate and that's bad that, you know, somebody killed somebody else or somebody you know, took advantage of somebody else or somebody whatever. But, you know, is that going to rob me of a great movie that I've loved for years and now all of a sudden I can't watch it because of something stupid that somebody else did? If somebody broke into my house and stole the DVD, well, darn it. But I'm going to go out and get the DVD back because I want to be able to watch that movie, whether I have to go buy it again or whatever, because I will be in charge of my own destiny. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we are discussing Movies that have changed in our perception of them over time in terms of maybe greater appreciation or ah, it just doesn't hit me the same way these days. And that topic, Dave, I, I figured that was going to be a, a part of it today. Most of the just folk, a part. Yeah, most of the focus is on the movie itself in terms of, you know, I like it more than I used to or, you know, I really was caught up in the moment with enjoying it, but now... Now I kind of see the flaws of the movie a little bit more, but that is that is a piece of the puzzle. So that was that was going to definitely be a part of it. And again, it goes back to the how well has it aged uh, discussion that we had a, f- a few episodes ago. But you know, maybe now more more appropriate way to describe it is it's not so much the movie; it's more this is about us and how maybe we've changed. Right. You know, some of the Indiana Jones we've talked about. I appreciate movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark now more than I did when I was a kid. And I loved it when I was a kid. But I was young. Those are some of there's some weighty things going on there, you know, biblical artifacts and so forth. Interesting. Well, what's the well of the souls? It's a room with snakes. Yeah, but it's an actual room that does exist, not in real life like it is in the movie. But it's fascinating to see the same movie at different points in your life. And it's almost like a completely different movie. Yeah. Have you ever, Dave, gone into a movie and you wanted it to be really good? You yeah. really wanted it to be good. Yeah, because I've got a movie along the declining perception idea that 
actually, I've got a couple of movies in that regard. But I, it, it, so you've done that same thing. Yeah, I've told the story about episode one, Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. It was Star Wars. Oh, I hadn't yeah. seen a new Star Wars movie. Everybody it, wanted it to be good. It was almost 20 years, and I, everyone is in there like, oh, 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 and now you get to, you know, the underwater Gungan scene, and it doesn't, what's, is it, am I, is it, is it me? Is it like today, am I out of a lack of sleep, and I'm just not, something's not connecting? Is it my fault? Well, let's elevate this question then. Have you ever gone into a movie, you wanted it to be really good, and you left the theater convincing yourself that it was as good as you pictured it in your mind, but then you went back later and thought, you know what, I actually don't like this one as much, especially on a second or third viewing, when you allowed yourself to kind of take in the reality of the movie more? Honestly, I still got to stay with that answer. You know, Phantom Menace. So you even left the theater going, that was good. That was really good. Sort of. Sort of. I knew that something was off. But I it must be me. It can't be the movie. You know, and it, I've told the story before and it was over I was in college when the movie came out and of course when the movie did come out college had just ended for the summer and everyone had split up and gone their own way so you didn't get to go in a big group. In fact, I saw it for the first time alone just me because I was starting an internship in a different city just me. So, who am I going to go with? So, and so I went and saw it me, and nobody wanted to admit to other people in their group because everybody was like, oh, man, yeah, you don't want to be the one that's going to poo-poo. The- well, guys, I don't know. And finally, it got to be like August, the end of the summer. We all kind of got back together, and somebody was brave enough to broach, is anybody else? And you could see him flinching, preparing for the onslaught of, you know, what? How dare you? Does anybody else feel the movie wasn't as good as it should have been? And somebody else was brave enough to say, yeah, and then it just opened the floodgates. And over the Everybody last. Everybody felt okay yeah, saying Yeah, 22 it. Yep. years later now, it's pretty much universally. Yeah, it's not a horrible movie. I mean, some people went berserk. It ruined my childhood. You need to grow thicker skin if that's if that's how horrible Look, it affected you. It was you. not a very good movie, but that's over the top. It's not yeah. bad. It's not a bad movie. It just doesn't live up to the bar that was set that was before. But I walked out of that movie, and I saw it a second time, and I was like, it's not getting any better. It can't be me. It's, and I saw it the third time in the theater, yeah. and the first time I was propping myself up, it was, a, it was great. What did you think of the movie? It was awesome. And I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But you know, that's the one for me that really hits it. I haven't gone to see a movie. There's movies I really wanted to see and like. Um, there's a Gene Hackman movie called Heist. And Delroy Lindo's in it, and it's it's a it's not a bad movie, but I wanted it to be much more like a, a, a Robert De Niro and Edward Norton movie, The Score. And they're very similar, but The Score was a good movie, and The Heist just it just kind of wasn't there. You had a great cast, and you had great just I was so ready to love that movie, and I just didn't. I didn't think it was that good. So, you know, it, there's, that, that happens just to you. never goes away on this podcast. Well, who, whoever walks into a movie thinking, well, sometimes you do. You walk into a movie, this movie is going to suck. You know, the, the reviews are horrible, but I love so-and-so that's in it, or I've wanted to see this. I'm not going to not see the it. the person I'm going with really wants to watch it, so here that we are. That happens. Anyone that's married and the, the, the gal grabs the remote and you're going to watch a chick flick or something, it's not my night, you know, but that's okay. Uh, she goes to action movies and that's not her night. You get it. Uh, that's right. not a problem. And for us, we're sometimes blinded by what we think is go- we're going to see as being good, and and then they're going, no, come on, this is a dumb action movie, and they're right sometimes. But sometimes there's the the the, the crappiness of the movie you. is the appeal. 
You know, we've talked about that yes. real men is mine, and it's I don't recommend it to anybody. But to me, I like it. I will never f- sit my wife down to make her watch it, lest we, I get a divorce lawyer first. You know, <laughs> why would I subject her to that kind of torture? So I've got two movies that that really stick out that that I went into going, I want this to be good, and then I left it going, I I believe this was good, and then it's. You know what? It wasn't as good as you thought. The one was actually a very mediocre to poor movie that I just really wanted to work because of its predecessors. Coming into The Bourne Legacy, I was not happy that they had made another movie beyond The Bourne Ultimatum. I thought that the Jason Bourne series should have ended right there. Bourne Ultimatum, end it there. That, that'd be a good end cutoff story. point. End it with a little bit of mystery, and yet you've got a good tying-off point. They decided they wanted to try to keep it going and milk it. And, oh, by the way, we're going to try to do that without Matt Damon, without Jason Bourne, with the Bourne legacy. I was like, okay. But I went to the theater with some family and, and was like, you know what? This is going to work. They're going to make it work. I, I had convinced myself I'd built this up in my mind that, hey, they're going to make this work with Jeremy Renner and Rachel Weisz and with um, Edward Norton. They're, they're going to make this work with this movie. Went to the movie, watched it, left the theater with my brothers telling me, Joel, what a stupid movie that was. <laughs> and, and my cousins. I was waiting for your brothers to my, come into this. And my cousins. My cousins going, Joel, that was a dumb movie. And I was like, no, but it worked in this way. It was still pretty good in this way. Then I get it on DVD. I don't think I've ever watched it since I got it. I'm like, rid me of this. This this was a, such a poor idea, and they didn't execute it very well. And they they got almost too fantastical with different aspects of it. I mean, nothing on the on the actors. They did what they could with it, but it was it just lacked execution, and it was a poor idea, and it just was. It, it went from, in my mind, being, that was pretty good. That's That was a worthy entry in the canon of of this series, too. That is so regrettable. And then they tried to clean up some of what it brought up and other aspects of the series with Jason Bourne, the next movie that came along, which was only mediocre and just okay. Um, the movie, the, the big movie in this regard, as far as a declining perception for me, is a movie that I thought was an all-timer, and instead has become a movie that I think is very I think is very good, but has flaws to it. And that's The Dark Knight Rises. I went into that movie thinking this one is gonna be the grand crescendo. This is going to be a massive sweeping finish to the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, it's going to follow up The Dark Knight, which is an all-time great comic book movie with yet another all-time great comic book movie. And Went with some buddies from college. We were there the first night, IMAX, seeing it on the big screen and everything. And we're we're going crazy during the movie, at the conclusion of the movie, like and super, super hyped when we left. And then given the benefit of time and space to think it over, I was like, okay, this is not a top five movie for you. Because that's where I was putting it. I was like... This might be as good as The Dark Knight. That's what I was thinking as I'm leaving the theater. Like, just super hyped, adrenaline's pumping, very excited. Then with time, it's like, that was a good movie. It's not a great movie. There are, there are flaws to it. It's, there is a lot going on in that movie. They, they made it more of an epic than the, than the nitty-gritty, you know, 
moral compass kind of movie that the dark knight is the dark knight simply stands above in in that in so many different regards and the dark knight rises it, it's very hard to follow up a movie that's that good and i still remember the dark knight rises was the movie that changed rotten tomatoes policy on being able to comment on what reviewers had to say about the movie because you could comment on that directly there on the website and any rotten review was just eviscerated by fans and they changed the policy then on being able to comment on reviews there on the website as a result of that because people just buried anybody who gave a poor review to the movie. So they ultimately ended up changing that. And I think it speaks to just what people wanted it to be and thought that it would be. What it ended up being was a pretty good movie, but one that just didn't live up to the hype of its predecessor and had some flaws to it. I mean, just a little bombastic with some of the characterizations. I mean, I like Bane a lot, but yeah, what they did with his voice, yeah, that ended up being a little bit cartoonish in the end. I still like Bane a lot as a villain, but um but they had a lot going on in the movie too. They just they just had too much going on in the end. And it was still good, but not as good I think as what I had built it up for in my mind at the time because I was like I want this to follow the Dark Knight with another movie that is close to perfection. Yeah, it's, I understand that entirely. Um, there are some things that are just almost sacred. Um, my wife, for my, what, it was a birthday present a couple of years ago, she got me a poster. It's like a movie poster. But what the movie poster is, is a hundred squares that are like a lottery ticket. You scratch off your numbers to get, but what's behind these numbers aren't, you know, lotto tickets. It's movies. And according to the people that made this poster, it's the hundred greatest movies ever. I have differing opinions from some of those movies. Some of oh, them, yeah. many of them, like, yes, they should be on that poster. Others, like, where's such and such a movie? Now, granted, this poster was printed in whatever year, so anything that comes after that, all right. But then there's some movies, like, what? That's one of the, like, I'm sorry to go sacrilegious here, but Evil Dead, the original, it's a classic horror movie. It's on this poster. I've seen it before. So the deal was, I could watch, you know, I could scratch off almost all of those right away. Well, where's the fun in that? Because part of the fun is getting to scratch them off. So he made the deal. I only get to scratch off the posters that are movies that I've watched in this house that we currently live in, which has only been a few years. So like Back to the Future, I've literally seen Back to the Future a hundred times, but I didn't get to scratch off the thing because we hadn't watched it in this house. So on the hundred and first time I saw the movie, now I get to scratch it off. So there's a lot of great movies that I've seen before. And again, we're talking classic movies. So get around to Blade Runner. I've seen Blade Runner. It didn't grab with me for some reason. It's a sci-fi classic. So I watched Blade Runner again. It still doesn't grab me. It's, it's a very philosophical movie, too. It's a very philosophical movie, but it's it's more about interpretation rather than about plot in a lot of ways. Is he really a replicant? Is he not a replicant? I don't know. Give me a good story. To go around it. And I'm just not picking up on that. You know, there's a lot of beautiful things, and I can totally understand where the benefit is and why it's so revered. It's just like basketball. I'm not tearing down basketball, but basketball doesn't do it for me. It just doesn't. Nothing against people that work hard. I've trained all my life to be a basketball. Well, that's wonderful. It just isn't my thing. And there's things that I love that other people aren't going to love, and that's okay. 
So one of them on the list is The Godfather, but it doesn't have just the first one or the second one. It's all of them. Well, I'd seen the first two, and I had never seen the third one. And everyone is like, well, you'll live if you don't see the third one. See the first two. Third one's not that great. Okay. So now I'm watching The Godfather movies, and I've seen one and two a bunch of times, and I see the third one for the first time. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. You but it's- come to me to record a podcast episode. <laughs> There's a reason. I get it why people were saying you don't need to see the third one. But, you know, to me also, while I think The Godfather 1 and 2 are great movies, they I certainly have come to like the movie better in, in more recent years. There's a lot more to enjoy than when you were 18 and saw it for the first time. But it's only rising to a certain level for me. I don't think I put it on my Mount Rushmore films. I wouldn't put it in my top 20. Well, at least it's a positive change it's, on the on the positive change side of this episode. It's not going down, but it's it's to me it just it's not connecting on all thrusters like a lot of people think. There's a lot of movies that if I told you what was on my top twenty, what you think such and such movie's better than The Godfather? Yeah, I do. It's just it's not that the movie isn't good. Taste. It's just it's just me. That's all it is. But that's not to say it's not a good movie. I get it. I get why it is so revered. But to me, it's like eating the thickest, most densest chocolate cake. There's only so much you can yeah. eat before it's like, this is too much. You sounded like Barney Gumble when you were doing that Just voice. a little bit. <laughs> so anyway. it so it, it does depend on a lot of things. Some yeah. of them are bigger issues that don't mean that much to you when you're younger or they go over your head. It's like watching Shrek. Shrek, you get parents and kids laughing for completely different reasons at the same moment because they slyly made that movie for kids and for the parents dragged along, and you both groups love it, but for very different reasons. Let's flip it around then and go to the positive movies that have changed in a very positive sense for you over time. Got any that come to mind as you take a swig of milk there? I'm drinking my breakfast because I couldn't <laughs> grab coffee, so milk will work. That's fine. A cool little, like, mini little jug, too. Yeah, I, I love like it. that. Uh, absolutely. This is, a, this is an audio medium instead of a visual. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, continue. Absolutely. I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one that was a very pleasant surprise when I first saw it, too, and I just, just come to like it even more, was the first uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I, I like comic books fine, but I like them in the abstract. I don't, meaning, I don't read comic books. I, I, I never did when I was a kid. It just it kind of wasn't my thing. And there's nothing wrong with it. And there's some that are really revered. A lot of the graphic you know, novels like Batman and The Killing Joke and so forth, they're wonderful. I've never read them. I just, I'm echoing what I've heard. I hear it's wonderful story and art simultaneously. But comic books were never my thing. So when the first Spider-Man movie's coming out in like 2002, I think, everyone's going berserk. They couldn't wait for this thing to come out. Eh, you know, I just I, I I'll, I'll go see it. And I hope I enjoy it, but I I don't care. So I was a whole bunch of guys that wanted to go see it, and I'm going with them. But I could care less. And because I went in with such low expectations, or not even that, just I didn't care. And then to be shown a really good movie, it's like having Kevin Jackson walk in when you don't expect it. Wow, just wasn't expecting that. And it just made it wonderful. And I thought it was a fantastic movie. And not just was it a good story, but it dealt with actual adult themes that moved yeah. forward. But it was also a lot of things for younger people. There was something for everybody. It was the 31 flavors of movies. And as I've gotten older, 
I, I think I like this version of Spider-Man over what has been done since the amazing Spider-Man. And now you've got the MCU version of Spider-Man. I still, they're all, and they're good. I think amazing Spider-Man, maybe less so nothing against the people that were working on it. It's just, it's trying to restart the wheel when you already had a perfectly good wheel. Well, we got to recast. We're going to start over. We'll do it again. Why? And presented in such a mature way, those movies really yeah. were. I I think back on them. It's been a while since I've seen them, and I hope they don't get lost in the specter of time because of what's come since. But I mean, they were they were a huge deal with the number of people who went to go see them, and they were, like you said, they were executed marvelously in terms of presenting the themes that they did. Well, it's, how many superhero movies present being a superhero as kind of a drag? You know, this isn't the best lifestyle. You know, I want There's sacrifice things, involved. Yeah, I want There's things great for me. Responsibility. You can't have the things you want because you have responsibilities because of your power. But I really no, you can't. I really want to propose to MJ. Yeah, but you got to put her first, and you don't do that. You can't. You know, this is something I want. You can't have it. What? What? Those are themes that, as cool as it is to see him swinging through the skyscrapers and and the good battles with the Green Goblin or whatever, these are heavier issues that don't speak to the younger audience. But as you get older and you start to experience things like that in your life, now you see it replicated on screen. It carries some weight. There, it's it's very bittersweet. Those series. The yeah. third movie, I think, fell off the rails, and it that's did. A, that's another yeah. story. But one and two were great. And it produced a, a hysterical montage, though. Yeah, when he does go dark, and he's he's got he's got that goofy, uh, just strutting around New York City attitude going, um, which is it's, that's just a hilarious montage. But anyway, yeah, it's it's a great movie that I've come to appreciate more over time. It re- it really is good. It just is a good movie. Yeah. Which so that's all that scene's been mocked a little bit, but then again, in the first one, <laughs> I'm dancing you've got, like Peter Parker in here. Then you've got sweet, general, generous, you know, uh, wholesome Peter Parker with raindrops keep falling on my head montage in the first one, which was played cheeky. So they basically did it again, but let's make it smarmy. And that one came across as more awkward, which I think was the point anyway. Yes, it was. But it didn't land the way I think for some people they wanted it to land. I don't. I don't know. They, they're, they're all good movies, but the third one, it had too many cooks. Boy, you've nailed it, these two movies. Okay, this third one, we want to do this. And Sam Raimi just he didn't want to do a lot of what was done, but it was pushed on him. He had ideas for a fourth one. He was like, you know, I, I, I'm done. I'm going to kick off mine that I yeah. put together because I've got a couple uh, with a more recent one that when I saw it in theaters, I really liked. But since then, it has it has elevated very, very highly, not only within my pantheon of sports movies, but also within my overall list of movies. And that is Creed. I I can't say enough how good Creed is and the way that it recaptures the the spirit of the Rocky movies in such a tremendous way. Um, Michael B. Jordan's just outstanding in it, and I love the way that they brought Sylvester Stallone's Rocky character along within the movie and within his own personal journey, and they bring those two together. Because I was nervous about the movie when it first came out going, Yeah, I was too. How is this going to go with you know what almost is essentially a spinoff? But they found such a tremendous way to combine the, the grassroots, almost indie-like nature of the first Rocky movie and to be able to do that in a modern sense with a big budget film 
and to 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 get the spirit of the Rocky movies back in a new way with with Apollo Creed's son and be able to help tell his story as far as him finding himself while also bringing Rocky's story along into a new way with his cancer diagnosis and with the way that these two guys are both fighting different battles, you know, Adonis with trying to find himself and Rocky with trying to trying to keep fighting, trying to keep living and and moving forward. And I, I love the way that their journeys parallel then and the way that they come alongside each other in their journeys in that way. And it's it, it it resonates with me too because it gets back to the grassroots nature of the first movie with Philadelphia as well, you know, with different places around Philly and, and capturing the spirit of the city too. Oh, yeah. And that, that means a little bit extra to me as well. But it's marvelously filmed. I mean, some of the action sequences, the 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 continuous cam type stuff that they do is really really well done the cinematography is just sparkling it's it's a movie that every time i watch it i enjoy it a little bit more for different reasons like that um killer soundtrack that they've got with the movie too and it it just it just works great to bring a modern day spin on the what made the the earliest Rocky movie as good as it was, and they found a new way to do it with Creed. You know, it was a story to tell. You know, are we making this movie because we have something to say or just to do it? You know, you watch the original Ocean's Eleven, and by that I mean the 60s. What's the story really? It just, it's kind of hollow and shallow. Well, we're going to remake it. Eh. But they had something to say, and it did it stylish and with a lot of substance, and it is by far... The best of the bunch. And certainly, you know, the original Ocean's Eleven, you know, the Rat Pack version. <laughs> well, that's funny because that's on my list of movies I have a greater appreciation And, and that's for okay. <laughs> you might have a greater. That's, that's really funny that, that you say that because I have a greater <laughs> appreciation for that movie now. But anyway, continue your No, thought. you already heard what I said. <laughs> that, is that all? Is that all you've got? Or like, no, just the... The well, little escape of air. I, well, that's that's just it. I like the newer Oceans movies more, but when I first watched the Oceans 11 of 1960 in college, my friends and I looked at each other afterward and were like, did we just waste two hours of our life? Like Because the ending, the ending just is like, it's like letting air out of a balloon. It's just, it's like, uh, what? I appreciate the ending to that movie more now because of the ironic humor of it the irony of uh, we warned you about spoilers by the way the irony of (laughs) their friend who is being cremated who had died of a heart attack and wouldn't you know it they've hidden all of the money in with his coffin so that that's their out to get the money out but then wouldn't you know it he's getting cremated and the guys didn't know it and there they are sitting there. They've got the the main investigator, um, who, by the way, is about to become the father-in-law of, of one of them, the stepfather-in-law of one of them, is is sitting there thinking, oh, I've got him. I'm going to get him here. And then, no, every, but he's also getting a cut because he had struck a deal with them, and everyone is sitting there realizing, oh, the money's gone. Well, there goes that. And then, and then there's just this ironic humor that that comes with it. So I appreciate the movie more now because that, yeah, it's it's an airy movie. There's not like 
there's not a whole lot to say through it. It's just pure entertainment. But I mean, that was the Rat Pack. They were there. They were entertaining. They literally went to Las Vegas. Let's all film a movie. Okay, let's have a great time while they were there. What should we, the movie be about? I don't know. Yeah, whatever. We'll just start filming stuff. We're gonna rob a movie. We're gonna rob a movie. We're gonna rob a bunch of casinos. Well, yeah. that's the the obvious thing. Okay, we're gonna rob some casinos. All right. What what's the nuance? I don't know. It's like Seinfeld, and that's a show. We'll get we'll get Dean and we'll get Sammy and we'll get Martin and they'll all be talking and what are they talking about? It doesn't matter. There's there's a scene. You know, you're gonna rob a casino. Okay, try to work that into the dialogue, whatever it is, and there there's a scene. Perfect. It says nothing, but it, it it is what it is. Well, it's humorous too because they they kind of allow for the personalities of each guy to show within their own story arcs that they have going on, and it's funny how then they'll like pick on each other within within those little pieces but yeah in the end it does end up being ultimately pretty shallow as far as yeah there's not a whole lot of story depth here but it was more a vehicle for just let's let's have some fun with with each other but yeah then the story ultimately falls pretty short but the ending the ending is something i appreciate a lot more now of okay this is actually kind of ironically funny that they that they're not getting the money, and this is this is why. But one thing, and this is kind of a broad stroke brush here that I've learned to appreciate more over time, isn't necessarily a particular movie or even st- or it's it's actually a particular era of movies. You know, I was brought up in my era, and movies at that point were made the way that they were made, and they've always ev- evolved as they go. Nowadays, they don't make movies the way they used to, and they certainly don't make them anything like the way they used to before my era. If you catch what I'm saying. So my parents would be going to the video store, I get my movie, they get their movie. They'd try to show me some of the movies that they had enjoyed that they thought I would enjoy. No, it's just, I don't like these movies. My mom would show me, this is the funniest movie ever. Do you have some examples? Oh, the original Nutty Professor comes to mind. Oh, Things like The Parent Trap, uh, Sound of Music, and I liked them and I appreciate them, but I just didn't dig them, you know? Do you appreciate musicals more now than you used to? Yeah, Sort of, but not substantially so. You know? Does it depend on the movie? Depends on the movie, depends on the story, depends on if I'm involved or not. I think my favorite musical, honestly, probably is The Sound of Music. It's not, if you know the story about the Von Trapps, it's not anything near historically accurate at all. They don't escape no. and hide in the church and go over the mountains. In real life, they went to the train station, got on the train and, and drove away. That's how they got away. And climb every mountain and ford every stream? Yeah. They didn't touch a stream. They just touched an airline ticket. Well, the reason I asked about that is because I've grown in appreciation of some musicals. There are some that go over the top and that are just, that make you roll your eyes. But there are others that do it in a very cheeky, very clever, very fun way, and it's really enjoyable. And The Music Man is one of them that I appreciate a lot more now. Like, they, they captured the spirit of the onstage performance really well with the movie and there's I mean the performances are outstanding they have just the right amount of over the top within it but it's it's in a very humorous way and it's uh, it, it pulls on the heartstrings a little bit too and it's just it's a fun movie as well now one thing I'll point out slightly personal in the dynamic with you and I that ties into this so I am I'm a generation Xer you are a millennial we don't need to get more into it than that so a lot of the movies that came before my era, 1970s and 60s and 50s, my parents, that was their era. That's what they watched and that's what they loved. And that just for some reason when I was a kid didn't jive with me because at the time 
when I was a kid, now he's Indiana Jones. and They don't make movies like that. Even though those movies are kind of an homage to things that had come before, it was done in a modern way. The funny thing with you is that most of your favorite movies are movies from my parents' era that they loved, that they kind of tried to push on me that I didn't I didn't dig. If they were going to watch Lawrence of Arabia on TV, guess which room I wasn't going to want to spend time in that night? The TV room. Well, but it's one of your favorites. Well, you've got to understand, too, I'm a very different kind of millennial. Yeah. I mean, I resent the millennial <laughs> tag being attached to me as well. I, but, I mean, but I'm, you're, I'm, but, just, I'm just a different cat. Oh, man. I agree. But that's you're kind of an anomaly and in the best way. Don't think I'm knocking you because oh, I'm not. I, I, I get you. But, you know, yep. how old is who? And what movie does he want to watch? Right. Really? what oh okay yeah i would have thought he but at the same time you do like a lot of the modern stuff the dark knight and christopher nolan in particular that's top on your list right there with stuff like like capra back in the day yeah i'm gonna make my future significant others head spin <laughs> good luck to her um, yeah but, but by the way that my i still have my biggest example on hold and it's another one from me. back in that time do you have any others that give me you give wanna, me give me give me okay this <laughs> This movie, I want, I want. I first watched it back in college. A- an- another one that I watched back in college that when I watched at the time, I was like, I don't like this. I, I-, I just don't like it. It's too different from what's come before it um, within the series that it was a part of. Just way too different, and it just doesn't resonate. And my friends and I, we had, we had all pretty much agreed on that. For whatever reason, I, I forget what prompted me to watch it again, but a couple a couple of years ago when I had for, when I had moved out here, one day I just decided, you know what, I'm going to watch this movie again. Um, I think I was going through the series of movies that it was a part of. I watched it again, and I was startled at just how different my perception was about it. I appreciated the fact that it was different. I loved the way it was shot. Um, the characters were were outstanding. They had a lot of depth to them, which could not be said as much about what had come prior to it. And it had a, an ending that really hit you in a way that, that's surprising. And I was like, this movie is actually really, really good. And I consider it not only one of the best of the series of movies that it's a part of, but it's one of my quote-unquote essentials now like one of my all-time favorites which twilight movie is this <laughs> good one dave <laughs> on her majesty's secret ah, service okay i i think that's a that is the hidden gem of the james bond movies because people just look at it as, very the, different. as the lazenby movie and lazenby was so different from connery he's he's much more of a he he's a different kind of sarcastic than connery and he just is very matter-of-fact at times, too. But it works. And apparently, Lazenby was a little enigmatic like on set and everything and with the filming. And the fact that he was like, I'm only going to do one of these. But his his style of, on it actually worked. His spin on it worked. I think Diana Rigg is marvelous in, in the movie. I think she is outstanding as... Tracy DiVincenzo, if you if you read the book, which I've done, like I think she captures her aloof and yet wanting kind of spirit really well with the way that she plays it in the movie. Um, they've got Telly Savalas in the movie as, as Blofeld, and and he's very good as you know, well. Bond movies, even back then and even now, for the most part, there's more or less a formula to them. But then there are some that really veer from the formula. Skyfall was one of those. Yeah. And it worked. License to Kill was a very different formula. It didn't work as well. 
But Honor Majesty's Secret Service is a very different. I mean, for a good chunk of the movie, like a quarter of the movie, Bond is dubbed to be very stuffy as this, you know, British someone who will research yeah. your ancestry. He's very non-Bondian at all, as he's completely undercover. Every time Bond goes undercover, he's exactly what you'd expect Bond to be, just using a different name. My name is Sinjin Smythe, or whatever. But it's clearly the same persona of Bond you've always seen this guy do. But now it's a completely different thing. He's the complete opposite of Bond. And for a good chunk of the movie, and the whole movie is so different, so maybe it's not just that it's different, but it's done different and done well. Right. The action sequences in the movie are are pretty good, too. Some of, a little more some gritty. Of the different stuff. Yeah. That, that's where they brought in some of the skiing for the first time as well, plus they had the bobsled uh, stuff that they had going on, too. Um, there's... It's a very topsy turvy movie as well. You know, there's a large chunk where he's just undercover there, going into that that research installation where where all the girls are who are being prepared as the quote angels of death, and he his undercover stuff that he's got going on there, and and the manner of setting that up too is is very different. So very different kind of movie plus the fact that bond actually falls in love in the movie but gets then married and gets married but then all that comes at the end one of the too. more traumatic talk about letting the air out of the balloon at the end bah, 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 bah. no yeah. no more bride well that's the end and and a heartbreaking final couple of lines that bond delivers which also are delivered in the book and just kind of rip your heart out at the end with how it takes place um you bring great, up- great movie. I I rank it right up there among my favorite Bond movies and my favorite movies. You bring up a good point because Bond is now fifty plus years plus Louis Armstrong. Yeah, Louis we have Armstrong. all the time in the world. That's right. You got all these movies, and people will go see a new Bond movie. Everyone at some point is going to see their first Bond movie, probably as it gets released. You've never seen one before. We're going to go see Daniel Craig and No Time to Die, assuming it ever comes out. You're going to see it. You're going to love it. Well, you know, there's like 50 years more. This is like the 25th Bond movie or whatever it is. I want to see them all, Dad. But then you go watch something from 1962, Dr. No, and work your way up from there. Those movies are very, very different from what's coming later. And as you watch the whole run of them, the Moore era is different from the Connery era, is different from the Dalton era, so on and so forth. They're all different. They have their different styles about them. Some of them are just the style of what they were made at the time that they were made. They don't make them like that. So if you love the That's Daniel Craig movies and then you go jump into Dr. No, I can I could hear a whole generation of kids, <laughs> what am I watching? What exactly. is this? Did I waste my time? Yeah. There's th- and I can relate to that. There are those movies that some of those came out before my time. And at the time I first saw them, I was like, I like the newer ones better. And maybe I do. And I just completely blew away the other ones. Didn't care. Ah, Sean Connery. I mean, yeah. But I've developed over time, and I think that tends to be the case more than not as you become a little more sophisticated yourself. You will find things to appreciate. I'm, I think the best Bond movie for me is Octopussy because it's the first one I ever saw. I'm not going to claim it's the best, but it was the first one that got, whoa. And it just, for me, it, it just got it in a way. It's not, I don't think it's the best, and it's not my favorite, but it's on the list, and it's going to be much higher than it would have been otherwise. I hate to say it, but maybe if A View to a Kill was the first one I saw, which I think is probably one of the least good Bond movies, maybe that one, unfortunately, would have been more high on my list. But thankfully, Octopussy came first. That one's easier. 
I still I do think officially that Skyfall is the best Bond movie that there is. I think it's officially my favorite. Duran Duran made a good title song for yeah. View to a Kill. <laughs> yeah, but the charts is not the box office difference. That's correct. Yeah. It's funny, though, how opinions can change when you can go back to a movie later and go, you know what? I, I see something different in this movie than I used to in the past. You know, I can understand it a little bit differently. Or... You know, I have a hard time realizing why I like this one so much. And what's funny too, Dave, is that this is this is a fluctuating thing. I, I think this changes over time both ways. You know, it, it's the shifting sands of opinions on personal opinions on movies that you watch. And it's funny how they can how they can move and 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 evolve over time. Oh, sure. I used to be terrified of Jason, the hockey mask guy. Now to me it's like a fun game. You know, it's, I'd watch one of those movies and I almost needed to, dad, dad, you got to come down and get me and bring me up to bed. You know, I wasn't supposed to watch this movie in the first place, but I'm afraid to walk through the dark house. You know, now I'm like, God, that was fun. All right, dogs, let's go outside. I'll sit out in the woods with you while you take care of business. What's wrong with you? But are, are you okay? I know. Yeah. Right. But that's how things have changed yeah. over time. Exactly. So it, it depends on your perspective on things. He was the most terrifying guy I'd ever seen. I think we were talking the good guys and bad guys and he was on that list. Um, but now it's just a completely different thing. It's all oh, that's, that's frightening for you. Oh, that's so funny. Cause that's what my parents said to me. Oh, grow up. I wasn't ready to grow up at that point, apparently. But now, now I'm, I'm okay. It's he's, he's not that terrifying. But then again, <laughs> you're cynical now. Well, well, no, yeah, maybe a little <laughs> bit. But when the uh, 2009 Friday the 13th came out and that opening sequence, when it was over, I was on a date, and the there's like 15 minutes, and then the titles happen. You know, there's been 15 minutes of movie, and it's like the opening of Scream. It hits you hard in the beginning. And my date and I looked at each other like. If we left right now, I'd got my money's worth. We're good. I don't know what's coming next, but I'm like, that, that was good. We can go now. You haven't even seen the hockey mask yet. Yeah, but we're good. You know, she was terrified already, and I was like, ooh, I had that feeling in the pit. Now I'm like, okay, that's a good sequence next. You know, it just doesn't hit you the same it did. You know, because it's the first time. I get it. You know, Scream was the exact same You've thing. You've been inoculated. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I've been yeah. inoculated. Some things are set up for you to see it the first time, and it doesn't really work on repeat viewing. Like the Blair Witch Project. Like the Blair Witch Project. I saw it the first time. It was okay. I like it less because I know what it is about, and there's less substance through the rest of the movie. So I know what it is. But unlike, say, The Usual Suspects, I know what the twist is. But there's so much there to enjoy story-wise and just production-wise and performance-wise and all of it that I know what's coming. But you could it's fun to see the way that it's built into the movie to kind of signal what is coming. And if you don't know it, you're not going to pick up on it. And if you do, you pick up on something and you don't know what it is or let alone why it is. And then later on repeated viewings, ah, they're showing the big, you know, when the boat blows up and the camera focuses in on like this big pile of rope and barrels and stuff. There must be somebody behind it. Actually, there isn't, and that's the point. It's, it's a gimmick that you think someone's behind it watching. It isn't because, here comes the spoiler. Are you ready for the line? Verbal Kent is Kaiser Soze. He's not hiding behind the barrels. He just blew up the boat. Right. But the camera is, you're watching him as he's walking. He stops 
and the camera keeps moving. You don't really pay attention to that. And you think he's behind the barrels watching this happen. He's not. He stopped prior to where the camera stopped and presumably walked onto the boat and presented himself as Kaiser Soze, which you don't really see until he kind of gives it away at the end. So it's it's interesting how that works. So there's things like that to enjoy, I still but there isn't, a, there isn't yeah. a parallel of that in the Blair Witch Project. There isn't a parallel of that in these other movies. So once the, the cat is out of the bag, it's done. In some movies, it's like Schrodinger's cat. It lives on in the bag, even when you know what the end result is going to be. And that's, you know, everyone knows Apollo 13, they make it, but watching the movie, oh, geez, I hope they make it. You know they will, you know. Oh, well, you gotta kind of got to miss that iceberg, Titanic. Come on, come on. You know it's not gonna. Yep. But anyway. Are you good and awake now? Yes, I think we have uh, yeah, revitalized my spirit. You, yeah. <laughs> we should debate more often, Hoove. All These are the good is, kind of debates. All it takes is doing a podcast episode, <laughs> yeah. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2. Open now. Make sure you go check out the showtimes that they've got uh, and the movies that they are showing. Um, if you're not as comfortable going to the movies, make sure you stop by their concessions that they have and keep on supporting the Bemidji Theater locally Absolutely. for the time when you are able to return and uh, head to the movies. But You know, one real quick thing to kind of tie all this up in a bow is the, the up feeling and the down feeling. When you watch a movie that I loved this movie, and I haven't seen it in 20 years, and then you watch it and it just doesn't, do it for you like you used to. It's disappointing. It lets air out of your balloon. It can. But on the other side, I don't want to watch this movie. But then you do, and someone makes you watch it, and you appreciate it more. Or it's a movie that you didn't want to watch, but it's on that 100 years poster, and I'm not interested. Oh, fine. I'll watch it. And you do, and you appreciate it more than you thought you would. Wow, that was... So as you personally make your way through your theater adventures and you watch movies that you've known about for years and you never got around to, or here's a movie that I really want to see, or a movie that comes out of nowhere, everyone's talking about it, I guess it must be good, you're going to have the ups and those downs. And honestly, they're all good. You know, whatever you feel about a movie, that's kind of what it's supposed to be. Like the movie Joker, I don't really like that movie. I think it's a great performance and an otherwise eh movie. I don't think it's that good, um, but that's part of it. You know, then Hoove and I could sit down and more or less fight over these movies. What? You didn't think that was It's kind of fun. These are the debates that everyone can enjoy, literally, and walk away on everyone's buddies. You know, in a day and age where you can't agree on what time it is, you can, de- you can disagree about the movie, and it's kind of a fun disagreement. You know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, you still up for lunch and a movie later? Yeah, absolutely, no problem. You know, that's a good thing. So as you make your way through these adventures, enjoy the lows as much as the highs and enjoy the journey. It's like food. I don't like every food. I don't like every movie, but it's good to eat. It sure is. And then it is fun to debate, like you said. And it's fun to see where those conversations carry you. And again, with time, if you give a movie a chance in the future, again, that Maybe you were a little bit more iffy on in the past. You never know how your palate has maybe changed in a way that will turn your opinion on it for the better. And sometimes with other movies, maybe you do lose. Maybe it does lose a little bit of its full luster, but it doesn't mean it has to totally lose all of it. Though at the same time, even if you don't appreciate it quite the same way as you once did, you know, if it's revered 
there's probably a reason why, whether it's on a cult level or a base level. Hey, this is considered one of the greatest movies ever. Uh, sometimes I can't understand it. Yeah, there, there's a couple movies on that poster that I know I'm never going to watch it again. I've seen it. I don't care to ever watch it again, so I get to scratch that one off. I don't care if I ever see Doctor Strange Love again. It's not a bad movie. It's just I don't, I don't didn't do uh, Kubrick. What? It's Kubrick. We've talked about Kubrick. I don't like Kubrick. That's a really good movie. Let's debate it, Hoove. We should do some debating in the future. <laughs> Kubrick, Maybe. good or bad? Oh, oh well, you I know don't know where about, I stand. I don't know about Kubrick. I mean, like that movie is but really it's a good. Kubrick. Movie. Kubrick. Uh, I'm a little iffy on Kubrick too. But that's that, not a Kubrick movie. What am I saying? Peter Sellers is what I'm thinking about. Eh, it doesn't matter. There's Kubrick, the, there's the Kubrick lack of sleep did coming. Still directed. Yeah, though. he directed it. But yeah. so there's my lack of sleep kicking in again. Oh, it's you know go see those movies and uh, if you have a friend that you generally trust their opinion on movies there's some people that if they suggest a movie to me automatically i know i won't like it no but it's awesome every movie you've ever said is awesome that i've watched i would rather run into traffic than watch that again you know sometimes i want to watch a bad movie not when you suggest it you know but if it's the godfather all right obviously there's gonna be something to like whether it grabs me or it doesn't i'm not it's not lost on me i'm not saying i don't like the godfather they're great movies but i you know, I might not watch it again for maybe another 10 years. Right. Maybe more. I might not ever watch the third one again. Not that it's not an okay movie, but it, no, if I'm going to watch The Godfather, I'll watch one or two. Forget about the th- I've seen it. The third one, it's done. I may never see it again. Maybe we might just have to make this a debate forum in the future. Yeah. We'll talk it over for uh, a future episode. Rick and Nick duke it out. Until next time, I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.